Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq El Amin, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. We're also streaming at WCEV1450.com. If you are new to the Radio Islam family, we welcome you. Now do yourself a favor and keep up with us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and TuneIn. Anywhere you get yours at. Look for us at Radio Islam USA. All right. Pretty simple. All right, Radio Islam family. Uh, today, you are in for a treat. That's right. I said that you're in for a treat. Uh, we have uh, joining us on the line. Um, Sister Sakina Kaiser. Uh, and uh, the reason I say you're in for a treat because we actually talked about um, a book that she was the, she was central to, she was the subject of. Uh, but let me tell you a little bit about, about her before we bring her on. So uh, Sakina Kaiser is a mental health advocate, blogger, and writer. Uh, she is a crisis counselor with Crisis Text Line and the subject of Um Zakia's book, No One Taught Me the Human Side of Islam about life with bipolar disorder. Sakina currently is writing her second book about life with substance abuse disorder and overcoming addiction. So welcome to Radio Islam. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum Yeah, so uh, it is good to have you on the line to, to talk with you. I really enjoyed um, the book. I, I've got to just throw that out there first. Um, and if I could ask you, just, just to start off, could you tell us a bit about how uh, the book how this came about. Okay, yes. Um, well, actually, so Umzakia and I, we worked together at Al Huda School in College Park, Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, we were both teachers. I taught Quran and Islamic studies. Mm-hmm. And um, so we knew each other for a really long time. Our children knew each other. And we just became really good friends. And uh, I actually, I wasn't a writer at the time. Um, I just, I liked to journal, but um, I would go to her house and we would talk and we would just, I mean, we would get together just um, sort of as family friends. Our husbands knew each other um, and we would, we just enjoyed one another's company. And at the time she would show me um, some of her other manuscripts and um, I just talked a lot about my life and what was going on with me. And over the years we started um, talking about my journey with mental health. Mm. And um, it, it just so happened out of the blue, I started explaining to her. Um, we, we lost contact when she went overseas. And when I got back in touch with her and I explained to her um, what had been going on with me with my mental health journey, I shared with her, I said, I really don't feel like um, I've been able to be myself and to really um, let people know what it's like to live with bipolar disorder. And I just happened to say, um, you know, I don't really feel like anyone's um, ever allowed me to um, experience the human side of Islam. Mm. And she said, you know what, you should write a book called, uh, and we, we should, like, we should write a book together and let's call it that. Mm. And then, and, and I just thought, okay, and, you know, I, I thought we were just talking. And then um, about six months later, she called me and I was standing at the bus stop and she said, how about we write that book? And that's sort of how it came about. Wow. And um, really, she wanted to tell my story just because we were friends. It wasn't really um, 
it was more because she knew that I had something to say. And she was the one who encouraged me with my writing anyway. And she had gotten me into blogging and everything like that. And um, at that time, I was too sick to write the book on my own. I was really dealing with mania. Um, and I, I couldn't put my thoughts down on paper. And she said, okay, I'll, I'll help you. Mm-hmm. And then we just sort of, we collaborated. And she would interview me and she would ask about my experiences. And she said, really, I do think people need to know about mental health from the way that you tell it. Mm-hmm. And then we just, we worked together and, the, and that's how we, we got the book. And um, it really, it was interesting because she, she had to help me settle down. I really could not have done it without her. Um, at, at that time, I I really couldn't, um, she had to be my voice. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that was really a blessing for her to do that for me. And I feel like that was kind of a labor of love for our friendship. And that's, um, that was really how that all came about. Mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah. You know, it, it really says a lot. The title itself, uh, No One Taught Me the Human Side of Islam. Um, I, I, I just can't think of a more appropriate uh, title, especially for the subject matter. But it's one that I find myself thinking about uh, how, how, we, how that title or that awareness relates to so many other issues that we don't necessarily um, talk about um, as Muslims. And I could even make a broader statement uh, for people of faith in general who seem to believe that uh, your faith insulates you uh, or it, it, it negates these real, these issues um, like mental health or substance abuse or any of these other uh, concerns that we have. Um, and it, it becomes something that people of faith don't necessarily know how to or you know, maybe they don't know how to apply uh, faith in a way that's compassionate uh, and understanding. So I, I, yeah, I just I say all of that to say I really appreciated the title. I couldn't think of, uh, you know, a more uh, a more appropriate uh, introduction, you know, into that subject matter. Um, if I could ask in terms of mental health awareness, because uh, you mentioned that you were dealing with uh, mania at that um, during the, the time that you know uh, the, the book was being written or was you know was conceived um, I find it interesting to be able to make that statement right this is what I was dealing with this is where I was at at that particular point um, because mental health is still at a point I think there's greater awareness but I don't know if the response is necessarily there um, is that something that you had to uh, that you had to grow into to say this is this is who I am and this is what I'm I'm dealing with and you know and there's no there, there's no reservation or no or no no shame that comes with that. Yeah, I mean to be honest, yeah, it, it, it it's it's a double edged sword because when you talk about it, you're bringing about an awareness, but then you're opening yourself up still to a lot of criticism and still to a lot of stigma because what happens is. You say mental health, and then you're at the mercy of what people think they they understand what mental health is right. and what they're willing to do with the word mental health or mental illness. Mm. And so in the very beginning when I said that I was sick, so in the, in the in initial stages when I got sick, it was my students, it was one of my students, she said my dad's a psychiatrist. It was my third grade student, actually. Mm. And that literally saved my life. Because I was teaching and I was like having a manic episode and my, my student said, okay, my dad's a psychiatrist and I went to him. And, he, you know, his, his um, kids went to my school mm-hmm. and, and he got me back on the right track. But the thing is, at that moment, people were still not willing to accept mental health the way that I needed them to. I needed to take medicine. I needed to go to the hospital. 
I needed to do it in a very specific way. Um, and everybody's journey with mental illness is different. And they don't have to do it the way I do. But when I say mania, when I say bipolar, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking about mental illness in a very specific way. Right. And so some people want to say, oh, okay, well, then you need to pray more or, or you need to exercise or you need to eat better. And that may be true, but I also have to do what my doctors recommend. Right. And so some people still want to wrestle this from me, and they want to tell me what they think I need to do. And I think that people are well-intentioned. I'm not saying that, they, that they're trying to harm me. However, if they are going to talk over my doctors, that will harm me. Right. Because the people who are tasked with taking care of my mental health, those are the ones I have to listen to. And if I don't listen to them, I could get sick or I could harm myself. And so what ends up happening is there still is this reluctance to allow the professionals to do their job. And there's this reluctance to let me listen to the professional. Mm. And so when I, let's say I say something like mania, maybe people don't know what mania is and they don't know how it affects me. And so if I'm acting wild, they don't know why that is and they think maybe I have more control than I have. Right. And so, or they'll say, oh, you just want to blame your mental health. You just want to make excuses. And so it's really a thing where I have to be in the driver's seat and I kind of I have to tune everybody out because what it ends up being, I listen to everybody else and then I suffer the consequences. And I finally had a doctor say, like, do you want me to do this or do you want your friends to do it? Mm. And I felt really bad. And he's a Muslim brother and he has rights over me as the professional, but also as my brother, I have to listen to him. Right. And so I finally had to say, okay, I, I have to really do this right I have to go to those who know that, and that is actually Islamic. Um, and I have to just do what I'm, you know, I'm tasked to do. Also, for my children, I have to be there for them. And right. so I have to be the best mom that I can be, which means I have to be healthy. And um, so I have to use my best wisdom. I have to make dua, and that's it. So what it ended up being, that I had to research my conditions. I had to research the specialist. I had to make dua. I, I did end up be, being declared um, disabled. But I have to do this with Ihsan, and I have to just put my best foot forward. And so um, in tackling stigma, it, it forces me almost to be dogmatic about it because I can't let people tear me down. Otherwise, um, I'm going to get sick. Yeah. You know, and I think that really speaks to that, uh, to the fact that though awareness may have increased around mental health, uh, mental illness, uh, the response to it is not always appropriate. Uh, I think probably quite often that it's not because there's a level of education uh, that is not, uh, that, that most folks generally don't have or are not willing to uh, simply say, I think, to go back to your point, that there are people who are qualified to make uh, judgments, who are, who are qualified to make uh, recommendations on a particular matter when it comes to mental health. Uh, right. And, you know, and you just might not be one of those folks. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I think that's that's really interesting. Um, I was reading one of your blog posts, and you there there was a a word that it it struck me. Uh, you were writing about loneliness. Ah, uh, okay, yes. And and uh, and the response was, and that's really where I, I kind of start thinking about awareness versus response. And somebody, I think you you made the point about somebody else responding trying to kind of commiserate, right? Trying to say, well, yeah, I know what it's like to be lonely too. But it's like, no, no, this is completely different. Could you talk a bit about that um, and, and how that exists and that it seems like that's the norm in some some instances? 
Yeah, okay, so so when I talk about loneliness, now loneliness is a hot-button issue for me um, because loneliness is not something that people really want to understand or really want to allow you to um, experience mm. because people almost criticize you when it, loneliness is stigmatized much like mental illness. So I talk about loneliness in my solitude because there there are different types of loneliness that you can experience. You can experience the loneliness of, let's say, losing a job. And maybe you're used to being around a lot of people, and then you suddenly find yourself not around a lot of people. Or you can be in a room full of people, and you can be lonely. Mm -hmm. You can be lonely in a relationship. You can experience the loss of a spouse, and then there's a loneliness. Like older people um, who are retired, they have a loneliness. So there's dozens of different types of loneliness. But what happens is people hear you say loneliness, and they'll put upon you like, oh, no, you're talking about solitude. Hmm. And so they don't want you to do that. They, they'll say, like, you just don't like being by yourself. And so what ends up happening is that actually creates another form of loneliness where you can't relate to the people around you because they don't want you to have your experience. And so what that creates with mental illnesses, then I, I'll say, well, I'm actually lonely because I'm alone dealing with my mental illness. I'm a single woman. I've, you know, I don't have my, my husband anymore. I don't have my kids. Hmm. And so now I'm just sitting in my room. And I'm alone. And people try to say, like, oh, I get it. But they don't because their, their loneliness is different from mine. And so what it ends up being is a lot of times then I'll have also the suicidality part. Mm -hmm. And so then that, that's a different type of loneliness. And, and it, it really creates this thing within me where I have to kind of get strong within myself and say, I know what I'm talking about, and this is my loneliness, and I don't want you to take it from me. Because I wrote a post one night, and, and I felt really bad because I ended up hurting a few friends of mine, and they said, well, we're here for you, but you're saying you're lonely. And I wasn't trying to harm them, but what I felt like was when I'm sitting in my room by myself, and I'm feeling alone and lonely and suicidal, mm -hmm. that's a separate type of sin. And it was different from when I was married and feeling lonely. Mm -hmm. and, I, and that's kind of why I wrote that post. And so every time I mention loneliness, when it's online, people will say, oh, no, you're talking about solitude. But unfortunately, I know what the word solitude means. Right. And so, you know, it, it just it really creates a, a, a time for me where I just end up wanting to be by myself because then I'm just stuck with, with my own brain, and it, it's, um, it's traumatic. And so I, I do write about loneliness a lot because when you're, when you're trapped within your brain and it's not really working right, mm -hmm. um, you can't relate to other people. And you want to, but you can't. And you can't explain to them what's going on in your mind. You can't explain to them how they can help you. And that creates an internal loneliness, and then you don't know what to do. Mm. So that's, that's why I write about that. Yeah. You know, I think there's an inherent fear um, that goes along with not being able to understand what's going on um, or being able to label something. Uh, from from a bystander or from a person that's on the outside looking in, um, right? That that comes along with that, and, and that and that you know because this idea of wanting to be able to say, oh, I know, I know what you mean, All right? Oh, I I get it, I get it. Well, no, no, and I think it's it's more about that individual, uh, not the person that's going through uh, the the issue, but it's about the person who sees it uh, and and wants to feel some i guess wants to feel a sense of 
connection, which is also, I think, maybe could be looked at as a sense of control over over what's not controllable, um, at, at least from the outside perspective. Well, I think you hit it right there because a lot of times people will actually say, I'm trying to connect with you and you're not letting me. Mm-hmm. Or they'll say, like, I get it. And then if I, if, when I say, no, you don't, they're like, okay, well, you're just rejected. And so it is that it's not an it's not an affair. It's like it's not a bad thing of wanting to connect or control, but it's a when when you try to connect with someone and they're saying no, you can't connect. Mm-hmm. That feels that feels bad. Yeah. And so I understand that. And so it's it's one of it's like a communication type thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's just I really do think it's just a, a disconnect in communication. I don't think it's anything more than that. And so what you have to end up doing is like saying, okay, what is it that the person on the outside is trying to do? And what is it that the person, like what is it that the one who has the issue, what do you say? And mm-hmm. then how can you come together? I really think that that's, that's probably what it is. Yeah. Well, and from, from, your, own, um, from your own experience, um, would you say that there is a – uh, that the roles almost become reversed um, when you are having a, a, a situation uh, that, that you're going through, uh, you're processing loneliness, say, say if that's the, the particular issue, and a friend, a loved one uh, comes along and they're trying to connect. Uh, do you find yourself in those positions where that, that kind of dynamic of care and support, it turns around the other way where you're thinking, well, I'm trying to, uh, let me really be uh, mindful or, or guarded about how I say whatever it is I say because I'm trying to. I, I don't want to. I don't want to hurt this person that's that's trying to be of assistance. That's trying. You know. Do, do you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And that actually does happen. And unfortunately, it ends up. Um, it can damage some of my friendships. Yeah. And I I have to work through that because my friends will feel like I'm attacking them. Or harming them and and I have to be mindful of that and so then in the past I took that personally mm-hmm. and so the, and I have to I had to experience a period of growth where I said wait a minute let me see what my friends are saying because they're processing their hurt in dealing with me right. you know what I mean mm-hmm. and, and they're la- they're entitled to those feelings and so now I'm at a stage where I can say to people okay you are allowed to process your feelings if you're trying to relate to me and I want you to communicate to me how that feels and then I'm going to try to relate to you and see what you're saying to me so I can't only be in my own world you know I can't only it's not fair for me to only look at the world from my point of view because then that turns into like a self-focused type thing and and I don't like the word selfish because that's not what I'm doing Mm -hmm. but it it turns into me only relating to the world from my my personal view and then that that kind of friendship is is one-sided so what I've had to do is say to people, okay, I need you to explain to me when I when I can't relate to you, tell me how that feels, right. and and help me see it from your perspective, and then that makes my friendships a little bit more um, meaningful. Hmm. Certainly, certainly sounds uh, much much more uh, deliberate and thought out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a work in progress. I had to get there because for a long time I I did have that idea that people had to relate to me because mm-hmm. this all happened to me right and it wasn't that i was doing it on purpose it's just that was the way i understood it. you know what i mean i mean that was the way i that was the way i processed it but it took really good friends of mine to understand that you know even though that may be the case maybe i can shift my focus to kind of make this more of a global thing and not just about me 
Right. And so, you know, I appreciate those friends who helped me kind of broaden my view. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love the uh, the name uh, Muslim Hippie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was the impetus uh, behind that? Okay, so it's a little bit um, it's a little bit broad because basically how that came about is so I'm from the Silver Spring, Maryland area. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born in D.C. My, my dad's a D.C. native, um, and then I grew up in like Hyattsville, Tacoma Park, Silver Spring area. Um, and, and Tacoma, I really relate to um, because my, many of my close friendships are the, from that area. And Tacoma is, um, it's a very like urban, hippie type place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was already the background. I went to Blair High School, which is in Tacoma Park. Um, well, now it's in Silver Spring, but it was in Tacoma Park. And um, so that was already the backdrop. But then when I got sick, the, the first hospital that kind of got me back on the path to wellness was Washington Adventist Hospital, which is in the heart of Tacoma Park. Mm-hmm. And it's actually right down the street from where I live now. And so kind of like my whole life um, was centered around this area, but then my path back to wellness and back to who I am as a person, um, it kind of came back to full circle. And so I just, um, I've always kind of been a free spirit always done things my own way i i really i'm not a joiner it's actually kind of interesting that i even was able to become a muslim because i i have never won i don't join any kind of groups i mm. never i don't conform to anything um so i've <laughs> always been kind of a hippie my whole life um so then just one day i said okay i'll just call myself the muslim hippie because that's <laughs> kind of where i got my my life back was in that hospital um, and I re- I'm really t- tied to that hospital because if it wasn't for them, um, I don't think I ever would have gotten back. Um, I wouldn't wouldn't have gotten my life back. Mm. So yeah, that is uh, yeah. <laughs> that is that that yeah okay I, I get it I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually Tacoma was a little history about us. We, there's a a group of people they call I think they're called the Purple People. They're like it's almost like it's it's its own. Um, own religious group that's in this area mm-hmm. and my favorite color is purple so it's like everything about me that is unique and different is literally tied to this area wow. so that's kind of why i chose it and it's so funny because some muslims actually took issue with me saying the word hippie and i wasn't necessarily meaning an actual hippie but i just meant in the sense that i don't really conform to anything but in our area there are a lot of hippies so right. that's why i chose that <laughs> Well, I mean, well, you know what? There's something to be said for the idea of conformity, especially when conformity uh, produces dysfunction. Uh, and w- with that, um, and you, you've alluded to this, not alluded, you've kind of came right out with it, but could you talk a bit about your perception? Uh, is there any growth in the uh, response to mental health in the Muslim community because, you know, the basically the community was was put on notice right to take a look at yourself you know for us to look at ourselves and see uh says you know in the in the title of the book no one taught me the human side of islam um yeah yeah so has there been growth definitely there has been i mean there's a lot of i think that as far as when it comes to stigma and discrimination globally there's a lot of growth that needs to happen it's not just with the muslims but there is a tremendous amount of growth that's happened within the muslim community and when it comes to mental health i mean really you kind of 
there's not one way to do mental health with, within the Muslim community because each um, cultural group is going to have their own way to do mental health and mental illness. Right. Whether you're talking about within black Muslims or the black community or um, like South Asian Muslims, it depends. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, generally speaking, within the Muslim community, I've seen like exponential growth when it comes to mental health. Because when I initially got sick, it was, the party line was there's no such thing as mental illness in this month. Like literally. And my mom, who's now deceased, like people actually told her we don't understand Sakina because we don't have mental illness in our country. And she died thinking that I was wayward. She di- like, and that was one of my big, like, like, the, like the biggest heartache that I had was people told her there was something wrong with me because I wasn't tough enough, I wasn't strong enough, I wasn't like people in other countries. Like, you know, I, whatever they told her, and it's not so much that I go back to that, but my brain keeps hearing that. Mm-hmm. And um, so nobody says that anymore necessarily. Or if they do, I just don't listen. But right. uh, yeah, now people are talking about mental health. Even if they're making mistakes, they're at least talking about it. Yeah. And so um, I, I really don't have any complaints. My passion is just that we do it correctly. But no longer are people really saying like, okay, there's no such thing as mental illness in this month. Now it's more things like, okay, do you need medicine or don't you? Or it's more than the nuanced conversations, like how do you talk about it? Which, I mean, yes. again, it's, yes. it's so much better than it used to be. So I, I can't complain. Um, but yes, alhamdulillah, there's tremendous growth. Tremendous growth. Yeah, and I go back to that's really one of the, the main points that I look at. I mean, awareness is one thing, and awareness is definitely important, but that generally is the precursor to education. Uh, you find out about an issue that it exists but now it's okay well now it's about educating yourself uh in a way that so when you have to respond uh then you're responding appropriately and of course there's not a one-size-fits-all um you know uh, uh, approach or response um and i would i would like to ask you with as far as your work um as a crisis counselor um how that how much of your own experience uh, do you find um, do you find yourself in those positions where others have tried to relate? Um, and do you find yourself even having gone through having you know dealt with uh, uh, mental health um, uh, 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 issues uh, yourself? Uh, do you find yourself at a point where the person on the other line on the other 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 end of the line is saying, no, you don't get it? Um, yeah, I mean, so crisis, um, crisis text line has really been, I mean, that's probably one of the best experiences that I've had. Um, because the thing is, they train you. Mm-hmm. They, they give you specific training how to be a crisis counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's online. You know, people will text in and then, you know, you're on your computer and they will, um, it, basically you're getting them from what's called a warm or a hot moment down to a cooler moment. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a lot of times like teenagers or, or young adults, and, and they just need help at that moment. Um, but the thing, and, and it doesn't matter, you, you, you don't tell them what your background is, mm-hmm. um, but they're trying to relate to you and they're trying to, um, they're, they're calling in because they need help. Right. But I definitely find that my own background has helped, even though I don't tell them what I'm going through, mm-hmm. I can relate to them because I, I've been in their situation. And sometimes they will ask you, you know, flat out, like, you know, how long have you been doing this or, you know, have you been through this before? And you don't necessarily tell them um, anything about yourself. But it's just that understanding that you know where that person is coming from and you can help them get to a better um, type of space. 
And I really find that it actually makes me understand myself better, but it also helps me understand people in my own life because I get it. Um, sometimes you just need somebody to talk to. Yeah. And, and really, like, I mean, sometimes I'm tempted to, to call or, or text in to crisis text line because you just need someone just to kind of help you think through something really quick. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I, I do relate to the people who text in, um, and I use my own experiences a lot of the time. Um, and it just, it's, it really has made me more well-rounded just in my writing um, in a lot of ways. Mm. Now, um, I, I'd like to ask you about self-care, particularly uh, if there are any strategies, um, uh, any strategies that you employ. Uh, that you would offer to others, and I'm going to go ahead and make this uh, disclaimer. Um, um, not being a physician, we're asking you about your own personal, uh, right? Yeah, right? Because right. don't nobody feel like they're getting medical advice, but, <laughs> right, exactly. but, right? But as somebody who's who's life experience, you know, uh, who has who you know who has experience in, in dealing with this, um, what are some strategies that you might give to others who've been diagnosed uh, with uh, bipolar uh, disorder? Yeah, right. Now, um, okay, so, well, first of all, I'll say I, I actually have a few um, illnesses. I have bipolar. I also have anxiety. Mm-hmm. I have OCD. Okay. Um, and I have, so I have, some other, I have some other illnesses. What I do for self-care is, um, well, first of all, I, I talk with my therapist and my doctor about some strategies. Like, when I'm, if I'm feeling stressed, it depends on the moment. And it also depends on which illness is bothering me at, at that time. So specifically for bipolar um, is one more of a medication management. If I'm, let's say, is it um, a mania or something issue, I may just, I'll do things like make sure I'm, I've taken my medicine. I'll make sure that I've eaten properly. Um, I will make sure that I've gotten proper rest. One thing that's big for any mental health issue is something we call sleep hygiene. Mm. Uh, whether it's anxiety, depression, or any of this, a lot of times sleep can reset your brain. Uh, because the thing is that when you're stressed, you, you're not sleeping properly and you're not eating properly. Right. So for self-care, I always want to make sure, am I eating properly and am I taking care of myself? Am I doing things like um, making sure I'm showering? Mm-hmm. It's just simple things like that. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Because sometimes just basic getting up, taking a shower, brushing your teeth, it can reset your whole day. And I try to stick to the basics because when I get above it and beyond the fancy and trying to exercise and all of that, it's too much mm. for me. Okay. And so I try to just do something minimal that I can do. And one of the things that my landlord helps me to do, she'll say, okay, just walk around your room for five minutes mm-hmm. and then go back to bed. And so what I do in this, I, I use the principle that we do in this month, stick to something small, like, you, you know, do yeah. something that is consistent. Even if you can keep doing it. So with self-care, I try to do the things that I can do consistently. So something like that, there's a 7-Eleven down the street from my house. It's literally five minutes away. I might walk there and come back. I try not to make my self-care really grandiose because I can't be consistent with that. Right. Um, So I just do very, very basic things. And something that helps me to um, remember is I keep a journal. Mm. So I'll do things like, okay, have I eaten today? Have I taken my medications? Because for me, medication management is part of my self-care routine. Mm -hmm. Um, Have I walked? And literally for me walking, it may be five minutes. And it makes a world of difference. Um, And then that's it. I keep my my self-care extremely basic, Mm -hmm. and it it, it actually helps. Now, if I'm feeling a little bit more um, active, 
then I may say, oh, okay, I'll go for a run for 20 minutes. But that's, that's a rare thing. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't generally do that much and actually because i do deal with mania yeah i don't want to do like a whole lot of stuff because then i will get into not sleeping and you know too many activities um so, so let me ask basic. let me ask sister uh, sakina so mania that would be uh described or that would be associated more with an kind of an overstimulation yes so mania um with bipolar it's, bipolar is more than a mood, just, I mean, more than just two moods. Mm -hmm. But as a basic, you're going to have a really elevated mood, which is mania. You can have a, a moderately elevated mood, which is hypomania. So with mania, you're going to do things like you won't sleep for a few days or maybe longer. You're not going to be eating. You're going to have grandiose thoughts. Um, you're going to engage in reckless behaviors, um, maybe dangerous behaviors. You might start to have things like psychosis, which is um, hallucinations and those sorts of things. So mania is something that really does generally have to be medicated. You might even have to go to the hospital to get your moods regulated. Hmm. And then the flip side would be a depression. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, so let me ask, what's the timeline for this, uh, this second book, the book that you're working on now? Um, I'm hoping to have it out by March or April. I'm going to a writing... Um, um, not a, like a writing weekend yeah. where I'm going to just knock out a lot of it. Um, addiction and substance use disorders is something that I'm really passionate about because um, I don't I know that there are Muslims who talk about um, addiction and substance use issues mm -hmm. um, but I would like to add my voice to that so I'm hoping that by the springtime this book will be finished. Inshallah. Uh, and, and I really uh, applaud. I'm looking forward to that because when it comes to uh, Muslims that are speaking on this issue um, there, I don't know how many you think are out there, uh, but <laughs> there, there is not enough. It's not yeah. enough. And it's yeah. certainly not it's not covered with the uh, with the type of um, uh, with the type of intensity uh, that that it should be, because it's an issue that. Uh, that Muslims are dealing with just like everybody else is. So, right. Yeah. De definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And the thing with, with, with addiction and substance issues, you, you can recover and you can get back on track and you can lead an amazing life. And that's why I'm really passionate about it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it has been a pleasure speaking with you, Sister Zakina. Um, and before we, before we uh, uh, let you go, please tell the Radio Islam family how they can keep up with you. Uh, social media, websites, anything of that nature. Excellent. Okay, so um, I am mainly on Twitter. My Twitter handle is um, the Muslim Hippie, and then my uh, right now I'm blogging at um, the Muslim Hippie com. I believe it is, but it's in my it's on my Twitter um, in my bio. Okay. Yeah. So all of my social media is right on my on my. Uh, Twitter handle, and I think you can get to my Facebook there, too. Okay. Well, it has been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, continue your success, and inshallah, we can get you back on once uh, once that next book drops. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. All right, Radio Sound family. Uh, that was Sakina Kaiser. Uh, she is a, a mental health advocate, blogger, and writer. Uh, and has a book coming out, uh, as she mentioned, about substance abuse and overcoming addiction. All right, we're going to take a short break, but we will be back in a moment. This is Radio Islam. We're on WCEV 1450 AM.